Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit us at unitechurchak.org. Now, enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. We are in a series called In His Presence, and this message is really uh, was stirred up by uh, Judith Green, who is a prophet, and she's a member of our church, and we were having a chat, and we are talking about this subject, and it just sort of stuck with me, and it was something I thought, you know what? We really need to talk about this in our series, and so I'm just giving Judith a shout out for kind of getting this started, and I feel like it really was the Holy Spirit wanting to shift something in our church. Honestly, and Eleanor's prophecy was just phenomenal today, and is so in alignment with what God is doing um, with us and wants to speak to us today. So let's look here, Psalms chapter 46, verse 10. He says this, be still and know. Be still and know. Be still and know what? That I am God. And I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Think about this. God doesn't say, get to work so you can know that I'm God. Measure up. Get yourself cleaned up. Do 3,000 spiritual push-ups and you will know that I'm God. He doesn't say, wiggle around and know I'm God. You with me? He says what? Be still. This is one thing that's kind of scary about being still. And I want you to think about your own life. Do you run? Do you keep your mind running, your life so busy that it cannot be still? Can you go to sleep at night without the television on? Can you go to sleep at night without staring into your phone and just scrolling mindlessly through social media until you drift off? Not judging anybody, I'm saying, when we are running, we're trying to stay ahead of something. What do you think that might be? Because when you actually stop, when I stop, Something catches up to us. It's us. We try to stay out ahead of all of our troubles, problems, and really it is the things we are not proud of, the ways we've been hurt. It's the shame in our life, the harm in our life. We're trying to run from that stuff. And if I can just stay busy enough and out in front of it enough, then I don't have to face it. But the second I sit still, what happens? I have to get to know me. And God shows up. So when, I sh- when God shows up and I show up, I can freak out. Because I kind of don't want God to see me in all of my mistakes. How about you? That's kind of scary. And it reminds me of this passage, and I didn't pull it up, but it's in the Old Testament, and it's where God was explaining how all of the temple and sacrifice is going to happen. And he explains very specifically the way that people are going to walk up these steps to go make their sacrifice has to be set up in a way where no one could ever see up underneath any of their garments. So no one would be exposed to shame while they go into his presence. And this is the thing God is promising each one of us, is that when we go into his presence, when we find ourselves in his presence, when we be still and then know he is God, he will never shame us. He never brings shame and condemnation into that space. 
Like Romans 8 says, there is no condemnation for those who are, what? In, in Christ Jesus. In his presence. It's amazing, a phenomenal uh, promise from God. And it's more than a promise, it's who he is. He doesn't have to like stir himself up and go, well, I'll just put up with all these joker kids of mine. They're all a big disaster and I really just think they're a mess, but I'll let them in anyway because, hey, it's better to have some kids running around than none. That's not how he is. He's so in love with you. He's so desperate to be with you that he wants you to be still and slow down and not have to do anything so you can know who he is. And when you do, he is glorified. He is exalted in the earth. It's this incredible phenomenon that takes place. And look in Psalms 37, 7. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for Him to act. Don't worry about the evil people who prosper or fret about the wick, their wicked schemes. You don't have to worry about all the schemes and wickedness of the world that's trying to like set up these huge disasters around. You and I, our job is be still in the presence of the Lord and be patient to watch Him act. He is the one that does the great work. He is the one that disrupts the world with His presence. He's got it. Your job, my job, enter into His presence. We enter into His presence. And when we do, the discipline is be still. Be still and know. Be still and experience. Be still and wait and watch him move. We see Moses do this. and It's just amazing uh, season in the Israelites' history where in Exodus 33, we see Moses entering into the tent of meeting. Verse 8, when, whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tent. And they would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, a pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing in the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak with Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Whew. Think about this. Moses gets up and he starts walking and everybody's like, what's he doing? And they're always watching him. They go, what is he going? And he starts walking. Everybody comes out of their tent. They're like, all talking. Oh, Moses is going into the tent of meeting. He's going to go meet with God. God is going to show up. Now you have to think this is a people who were caught and trapped in slavery and never saw God move at all and felt abandoned and alone. They're always crying out, God, when are you going to show up and help us? When is this going to happen? And then all of a sudden he sends Moses and Moses comes out of nowhere and Moses brings the presence of God. They see God move and, and, and 10 humongous miracles happen and then they go through the Red Sea and the man has fallen out of heaven and they're like, oh my gosh, and now he's walking into a tent and God shows up. This is a people that's getting used to seeing God himself show up to meet them and think, man, he is really for us. But when you think about this, Moses 
had to take the time and go walk into the tent of meeting. And God wants you to take the time in your life to go walk into your tent of meeting with Him. You and I, we don't have to have a physical structure anymore so that we can walk into the presence of God and a cloud, a pillar of cloud of His presence can fall on us and experience His presence now, today. But you and I do have to set up a time of meeting. And it's one of the reasons in the New Testament says don't forsake gathering together as, as people, as Christians, as believers. And entering into my presence to experience me together. Something happens when we meet with Him together. And it isn't about this building, making this building special. It's about Him, His presence, Him showing up. We talk about it, we know He's in us, but we also get to come into Him. It's beautiful. In verse 12, this is what Moses says to the Lord when he's in the tent of meeting. One day Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me, I know you by name and I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your nation. This nation's your very own people. I say that to the Lord all the time about the church, by the way. Lord, these are your people. You lead them. The Lord replied, if I will personally go with you, Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. He's like, Mo, take a chill pill. I got this. I'm coming, right? He goes, I'm coming. But Moses isn't convinced, and he wants assurance. He want, it's never happened. He doesn't know what's really going on. He's just, he understood what was most important and wanted to make sure he got it. Verse 15, then Moses said, if you don't, listen, I want to drill this down and make sure we're communicating to clarity, right? If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. Because he's personally meeting with God face to face right now. He personally met with God on the mountain when he was called up to the burning bush. He's like, whoa. He personally sees God move through his life come on him and part the Red Sea and do all of the 10 miracles, right? And he is like, this is a personal deal. And I'm exposed here. I can't lead your people without you. And I'm certainly not going into a land where it's dangerous without your personal presence. And God's saying to you today, just like Moses, you get a personal tour guide in this life. It's his Holy Spirit. And he's going to personally take you and guide you into everything he has for you. But you and I have to see it like Moses did. It's personal. And he is, he is the point. He is the most important thing we're focused on is his presence. Being with us. Coming with us. Us being in him and moving with him. Look at what Moses says about it. He says, how will anyone, verse 16, how will anyone know that you look favorably on me and on your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. Do you know that is the thing 
that makes you different from everybody? It's not how tall you are, not how good looking you are, it's not how full and nice your Alaskan beard is, men and women, okay? <laughs> Some of you ladies are proud of your beards. <laughs> how do I even have friends? I don't know. It's your presence, it's his presence that separates us. It's what defines us. It's what makes us different, right? It sets us apart. It does something else. It sets us apart from the world, but it also brings us together as a people. With all those diversities, all the different lengths of beards, it doesn't matter. He brings us together. For your presence among us, your presence among us, not just in us, okay? His presence among us is what sets us apart. Verse 17, the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked. For I look favorably on you and I know you by name. Moses responded. Moses is not done. Moses responded. This is how desperate he was for the presence. Then show me your glory. If you're so favorable to me, he says, I've got one request. You've promised me your presence. Show me more. I've seen you face to face. I've been in the tent of meeting with you. Show me your glory now. He knew he had not seen all that God had for him and all he had, been, had in store for him. He's like, there's more. He goes, God, show me the good stuff. Show me some more. And this is how I feel right now in the church. I'm like, God, I've known you face to face. I've experienced your presence. God, you've been with us. I don't want to go anywhere that you're not going. God, if your presence doesn't go, I don't want to go. But Lord, I'm also totally not satisfied. I know you're holding out on me. You're holding out on us. There is way more in you. Come on us. Show me your glory. Fall on your church. And I want to see a revival. I want his glory to fall on our church so powerful and so thick that it could never be manufactured and just salvations of people, families of people, just waves of them are coming in. Come on. God loves a people that is needy for him. And that has a focus like Moses does. They know what they need. See, Moses is an interesting character because Moses, he was son to Pharaoh. Even though he is an Israelite, he was adopted son to Pharaoh. He was number two in the land. His brother was going to be Pharaoh, and he would be like, he's a powerful guy. He had all the power he needed to move and do whatever he could do in the most powerful nation on the world, in the world at the time. He had thousands, millions of slaves. They got, the Egypt was powerful, and he was at the top. And he threw all that away because it wasn't satisfying his heart. He was longing for something more. And it was the presence of God which led him out into the wilderness and then up to a mountain to meet face to face with God in the, in, the, in the moment where God met him at the burning bush. And then he uses him to take and, and, and set his people free. God set his people free with his presence. Think about that. 
Yeah, he used Moses, but it wasn't Moses. It was the presence, and Moses knew it. He's like, I don't want to do this promised land thing without your presence. There's giants in there. We already know that. Egypt, you took Egypt out with your presence. You've taken everybody out in our way, and now you want to give us a promised land. That's great, but your pro the promised land must come with the greatest promise of all, which is your presence. Show me your glory. We're in the midst of this opportunity right now. All the work is done, and God is looking for a church, a people that will say, you're all that we want, God. Show me your glory. Then the Lord replied, I'll make all of my goodness pass before you. Think about that. And I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone who chooses. And I will show compassion to anyone I choose. Think about all the things God could have said in this moment when he talks about himself. And this is, a lot of times we go, oh, the God of the Old Testament's kind of judgy. No. He says, I'm going to speak my name, Yahweh. And I will let my goodness and mercy is the greatest act of love. Goodness and love. He is always good. He is always loving. When his glory shows up, goodness and love flood the space. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. I need you to live, Mo. <laughs> right? I need you to live. That's, his goodness is that good that our flesh would die if we saw it all. So amazing. As my glorious presence passes by. This is not ego now. Come on. I know the Lord's telling me to say this. The Lord is not egotistical. He is mercy and good. He's not showing off and peacocking in this moment. He is, sh he is showing his goodness and his love to his faithful servant that said, I see what's most important. It's just you. Can I see you? He goes, you can't see me all the way or you're going to pop. But I'm going to jam you inside this rock. And after I walk by, you can look at the trail of my glory. And as my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of this rock and cover you with my hand. Look, he's going to make sure he, Moses can't mess it up. He covers him with his hand and he passes by. Because if it was me, I'd be a liar. And he's like, Ugh. start over. All right, good thing Joshua was in the tent. Get him going. Then I'll remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. Whew, what a God. After this encounter, actually, Moses comes down and he's shining with the glory of God that they have to cover his face because just the reflection of God's glory on him was too much for people to just withstand. It was like causing them and their unredeemed, unredeemed lives, Jesus hadn't forgiven their sin, to just flip out. They're like, cover your face, Mo, you're killing me. In... Our New Testament life with Jesus is just so amazing what God has done for us. All of this is now happening inside of our life, and we get to walk into it. This experience that Moses had 
we have access to every day. Colossians 1.27 To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of His mystery. The glorious riches. This is His glory. The richness of His glory is wrapped up in this secret which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. The hope of this glory that He was asking for God, show me your glory. He's did it. It's in you. He's, he can reveal it in and through you. Just asking him, God, show me your glory. It's in here. It's in you. But here's the thing. We're also in him. He's in us and we're in him. John 17, 20. I'm praying not only. This is Jesus talking to the Father God. He's praying. Jesus prayed. I'm praying not only for these disciples, talking about his 12 disciples that he was raising up, but also for all who will ever believe in me and in their message. That's all of us. Verse 21, I pray that they, this is us, Jesus praying for us. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, see, in the Holy Spirit, in him, and the Father, and I am in you, Father. So he's in the Father while the Holy Spirit's in him. And may they be in us that the world will believe you sent me. You're covered. You're infilled and you're covered. You, you, you have the most powerful glory inside you through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, that's not enough. You're also going to be in me. And I was using this example of like when we were teaching on the fear of God. And I think the Lord just kind of gave me an upgrade about thinking about this is that I was talking about that King Kong is like when we see God and we realize he's like King Kong. He's like this big, powerful being. And then sometimes we're like, oh, I'm afraid of this big, powerful being. And if we see God wrong, we run away from. But when we see him right, we realize King Kong's for me. King Kong, God is actually like King Kong fighting for me. And, it's, and we run then under him. But really that isn't what happens. When we run to him, we actually get placed in him. So you get put in King Kong. And then the power of King Kong's in you. He's in you and you're in him. And then his power is at work for you. You're like inside King Kong fighting for you. That's what it means to fear God and have him and you and you and him. It's crazy. That's why he's like, Mo, rest, <laughs> chill. You don't understand how big I am. And when you're asking me to go with you, I mean, I'm going with you. You're in me. And I'm doing the fight for you. And when Joshua was learned he was in him and they went across the Jordan, they went to the promised land, they go to Jericho, he goes, hey, I'm going to just be in you. And big King Kong gorilla God collapses Jericho when they just walk around it. God's presence, his glory manifests and everybody in the promised land that was given to the Israelites knew in their heart this belonged to God and they better pack their stuff. And they were terrified. None of them even wanted to pick up a sword. They all pretty much just ran and God fought the battle for them. This is what it means when you say, God, show me your glory. You have a problem today in his presence. You're worried about the political landscape? Come on, in his presence. Get in his presence. God, show me your glory. I am resting in you because you have this.
He's in me and I'm in him. Ephesians 3.12. Because Christ, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Because of what Jesus did, even unlike what Moses experienced, because of what he did to us, he doesn't have to jam us and hide us in the cleft of a rock anymore. He goes, come on. Come on, let's do this. This is what you were made for. This is what all the angels were, were looking on and wondering about what I was doing. Boom, it's in you. And it's you and me. And we're going to go tear this thing up. We're going to turn the world upside down with my goodness and my love. My mercy and my goodness, not judgment. When his presence shows up, it is not judgment. That's not the presence of the Lord. And you and I need an encounter. The church needs an encounter with the living God. We come boldly in to his presence as his presence is invited into us through the blood of Jesus. This crazy thing, I'm telling you, this happens in the New Testament. This crazy thing happens in Acts 16. And we see Paul and Silas it, uh, out and they're doing ministry together. And they're, they're just wreaking havoc on the enemy's territory. And they're causing all these disruptions and problems as they're ministering the, the gospel. And one of the ways that this gets wild for them is they're, they're preaching and teaching. And this, this uh, demon-possessed girl who's a, a psychic uh, is, is following them around. And she's got some handlers that are making money off of her and controlling her demonic gift and using her to make money. And she is attracted to this thing that the, the Paul and, and Silas are doing. And they're doing this ministry. And she just can't leave them alone. And it's just like, she, in, the, in the story, it says like, she must have been just like chirping in their ear day and night. For, it says for days that finally Paul just gets so annoyed with this girl just like wearing him out and always talking, that she just finally turns around and he just casts this demon out of this girl. It, which is hilarious to me that he didn't just cast it out of her like three or four days earlier, but he's just like, finally, the thing is just annoying him so much, he's all like, get out in Jesus' name. She gets totally delivered and saved, right? And now she doesn't have this demonic uh, uh, gift anymore, so then her handlers are mad because they're not making any money. So they get mad at Paul and Silas, and they rally a big mob, and they take Paul and Silas, they beat them all up, and they trump up these false charges, and they jam them up into jail. And so now they're in prison for casting this demon out, and they're hanging their arms on a wall. They're all beaten up and bloody. And you know what they say? They go like, hey, what should we do now? Totally not an awesome day. Hey, Silas, how was your day? He goes, it kind of wasn't that awesome, Paul. How was your day? kind of terrible. It wasn't that good. Hey, you got some cuts and scratches. Like, yeah, I'm just bleeding out a little bit. I'll be okay. And this is what they decide to do. After they invited the presence of God to deliver this girl, and they create this disruption, they end up in prison for doing this, and this is what they do. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. These guys are having a Holy Ghost invitation party. They're hanging in prison, and you know what they decide they're going to do? 
Instead of cry and whimper and complain and, and, and say, oh God, where are you? They're not thinking like that. And we're going we're gonna to open up a series coming here really soon. It's the next series we're going to do. I don't know how much longer this series is going to go because I don't know what the Lord's doing 100%. But this series is called A Shipwrecked Faith. And some of our faith gets shipwrecked because we put our hope in the wrong thing. But when we have a shipwrecked kind of faith like Paul, whom in any circumstance that happens, his faith was strong. He knew what the Lord was doing. It wasn't about the disruption and as if God abandoned him. Instead, he goes, God, show me your glory. Him and Silas go, I know what we're going to do. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come down on this place and rock it out. And so they start calling on the Lord and they're worshiping him and they're inviting the presence of God to come on them. And here's what happened in verse 26. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken into its foundations and all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prisoner doors wide open. He assumed all the prisoners had escaped and he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul said, stop, don't do it, we're all here. The jailer falls, uh, calls for lights and he runs to the dungeon and he falls trembling before Paul and Silas and he brought them out and he asked them, sirs, this is what no, no person says this during an earthquake. What must I do to be saved? They reply, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Then his whole household gets saved and everybody gets saved and he pulls them out and he starts to minister to Paul and Silas. Look, God prophetically does this to tell us that when his presence comes, he come to set the captives free. He came to set you free by his presence. When his presence comes on you, the jail cells in your life, the things that are holding you prison, like that gal who was in prison to that demonic spirit, the Holy Spirit comes, boom, she gets set free. There's another demon-possessed guy who had legion of demons and they couldn't even chain him down. When he gets set free, he preaches the gospel and he comes back into sanity and he puts his clothes on. Hallelujah. I think a little presence of God might get some clothes on in California. It's his presence that creates that transformation. It's his presence that does the work through his goodness and his mercy, his presence will set you free from the prison that's in you emotionally, physically. Come on. We have to invite his presence. We come into, and our problems, instead of panic, presence. Right? In our, in our troubles, instead of trembling, how about we bow our knee and invite, like Moses did, say, God, what I need is your presence to go with me. I need you to show me your glory. I don't have to understand it all. Sometimes you say, God, help me understand why this is happening. It's like, why do you even want to know that? It's too complicated for your brain to figure out anyway. You don't need to know why. You need to know who I am. Be still and know that I am God. Sometimes we ask the wrong questions. God, tell me all of what you're doing and why you're doing it, rather than, God, I want to know you. I don't want to know me in you. You know, my personal life 
is just, just gigantic neediness for God and his presence. <clears throat> and, you know, even last week I was sharing pretty vulnerably about my, my personal life and my struggles and, and that it's only God's presence and his wisdom that has gotten me through it. And so this is the thing I want to encourage you. You don't have to rescue me. I'm doing good. God's rescuing me. He's got me. But I can also show up as a real person because David showed up as a real person. Moses showed up as a real person. Paul shows up as a real person. You and I, we're all real people. And in the church, we just need to be real people. And I'm just like you. I've been hurt. I've been betrayed. I've been disappointed. I've been stressed and overwhelmed. I'm telling you, when the church collapsed, and they hand the church over to me in the middle of the night. It's like 1 a.m. And they, all the firemen say, yep, we're rolling up. We're going to go back home and go to sleep. They go, this is your problem. You should have all that stuff out of Lake Otis before morning. The city's not going to be happy with you. I'm like, you can do that to me? <laughs> like, what do I pay taxes for? <laughs> they did save us, though. Did an awesome job. I just didn't know what to do. That's, what, that's what's called overwhelmed and stressed. I don't have some sort of training and protocol from Bible school on how to solve that problem. <laughs> I felt out of control. I've been discouraged and felt like, God, when are you ever going to show up and finish this problem? Fix this problem. I've had seasons where I've been personally embarrassed publicly. It's not awesome. I have to just lean on the Lord in the midst of my own shame and mistakes. Seasons of being alone and feeling misunderstood. But here's the thing. His presence is all I need. His presence is all I need. And that picture that Eleanor was prophesying about that globe or that sphere that represents the church or represents your personal life. And all the places where it's cracked and broken is where his glory gets to shine through. It's where you need healing and he shows up. You're not everything, and he shows up, and he is. You're broken, and there's a separation between how in your life, a crack where you can't reach or fill in the space, and he heals it. Just think about sometimes there, like one time I cut my, my hand super deep. I've cut a tip of my finger off. I've had some gashes. Have you ever had a gash in your body, and you look at it, and you go like, that's going to be there forever. How could that ever grow back together? And somehow, God made your body to, through his glory and his power, his healing life power, will put that thing back together. Unbelievable. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says it like this. But he said to me, my, this is the Apostle Paul, explaining how he got through the big cracks in his life. He says, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. When you boast in your weakness, when you give glory to God for the cracks of your life where you didn't have it together and he's filling in the space, his glory is made manifest in the midst of your crack and your weakness. It's worth going there and saying, God, if you don't go, I'm not going. If you don't show up, I'm not moving. I want to be still and let you move. I want to be still and know that you're God. 
Jesus did this after feeding the 5,000. He just went away to be with the Father. That's amazing to me. And he goes out and walks on the water. And he goes away and he goes to be with the Father. You and I need time with the Father so his presence will come on us, to heal us, comfort us. But it says, this passage, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, says it so well. And I want to read it to you in the message, but I'm going to read it to you in NIV before I do that. It says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. <clears throat> that sounds like kind of like everything, right? All, 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 all that you need. Now listen to what the message, how the message says this. God can pour on the blessings in astonishing ways so that you're ready for anything and everything, more than just ready to do what needs to be done. As one psalmist puts it, he throws caution to the wind, giving to the needy and reckless abandon, the right living and right giving ways never run out and never wear out. This most generous God who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is more than extravagant with you. He gives you something you can give away, which grows into full-formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way, so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praises to God. Think about that. In His presence is all that we need for everything. And it's so abundant, and it's so complete that He gives seed to a farmer that turns into bread that you eat. He gives you comfort in your life in the midst of your trial and your difficulty and, and the worst things that have ever happened. And it turns into ministry of comfort to others. It's crazy. His glory manifests in your weakness that becomes a strength for somebody else. How does he do it? Don't have to figure it out. All I have to do is trust and say, God, I know that you're God. I'm coming into you. I'm gonna rest. I'm gonna be still and know that you and you alone are God. We saw Jesus in his greatest time of need press into the Father's presence in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he was crucified. You and I need to press into him and say, God, it's your glory, it's what I need, it's what I want. And he loves this kind of prayer. In Luke 11, we see him encouraging, encouraging us to have what they call importunate kind of prayer. It is actually a prayer without ceasing that asks, seeks, knocks, and just goes after it over and over and over again. It says, God, like Moses, like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm stubborn about your presence going with me. He likes that. He fills need. It's what he does. His presence has everything that we need. We need to wait in his presence and wait to be filled by his presence, overwhelmed by his presence. Will you close your eyes with me? Let's just spend some time waiting on his presence. God, fill me with your presence. We've got time. Lord Jesus, I just settle my heart and my anxieties about everything that needs to be done and has to get done. And God, I just give my worries to you. And Jesus, I'm asking for you to fill me with your presence. Let your presence come around me. Holy Spirit, I welcome you right now, God. Touch me, fill me, God. Come upon me. Lord, I don't wanna go anywhere without you showing me your glory. Show me your glory. 
want to be still and know that you're God. I want to be still and watch you move in my life. Come upon me today, God. Holy Spirit, I love you. You're welcome in this place. Rest upon me, God. Worship you, Jesus. Worship you, Jesus. Worship you, God. You're worthy, Jesus. You can stay right where you're at. Just begin to invite His presence. Ask His presence to move on you. You can stand, you can sit, you can come and pray, you can lay down, be on your knees, whatever you need. God, we would just want your presence to move on us today. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.